here we are with our first episode of the StatCast and our first guest here today as well. We have Ruben Yap with the Firo Project. Say hi, Ruben. Hello. Hi. Glad to be on and, um, you know, nice to be on the very first episode of StatCast and, you know, Stack Wallet. It's been like a really important part of our ecosystem being one of the, I think, only open source wallets that fully support all our privacy features. So really excited to be on here and share a bit about what we do and, and yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll be excited to learn a little bit more directly from you, right? I've heard a little bit working with Cypherstack, obviously, but um, we haven't ever, I think, directly spoken outside mm. of maybe a, a couple interactions on Discord or something. So. Yeah, I think this is the first time I've seen you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So if you would, uh, go ahead and just kind of introduce yourself and exactly what your position is with Firo, and uh, we'll go from there. Sure, yeah, so I'm Ruben. I am basically the project steward of Firo, and what that basically means, it's kind of a guide and lead the project on behalf of the community, uh, you know, um, I guess I, I come from a legal background. I was a lawyer for about like 10, 11 years where prior to going kind of full time in maybe 2018. I kind of been in the, I guess, crypto space since about like 2012, 2013 or so. And, you know, um, I've grown to be like very, very supportive of privacy tech, which is kind of why, you know, I choose to build on Vero and I think it's like one of the most important things that we kind of take for granted, especially in this time, because I think, uh, you know, digital privacy and especially financial privacy is a kind of a relatively new concept uh, that I think has taken time for, I guess, like, you know, the, the, the mainstream consciousness to embrace, but we are seeing very uh, interesting developments in that regard. But yeah, that's a bit about me. All right. So you've kind of been around in the crypto space since the, not exactly the very beginning of Bitcoin, but around the point when I think people really started to hear about it more. That's, I know, I think around 2012 was when I first kind of became aware of the existence of cryptocurrencies in the first place. Yeah. I mean, like how I actually got, uh, like, you know, got wind of what this crypto thing was, was because I was running, I started a VPN service in 2007. Uh, and, you know, back then, like, basically VPNs were kind of, like, considered, like, taboo, like, oh, why would you need a VPN, you know, you must be doing something illicit, it's kind of, like, in the same position what privacy coins are today, right, but now, like, VPNs are so widespread and nominal, like, every day, you know, you watch some YouTube VPN, like, hello, it's not VPN, and, you know, <laughs> It's just so oh, yeah. natural and it comes bundled in, in everything, right? Like even NordVPN, Surfshark. Yeah, Brave and, and everything all comes with VPN services. And unfortunately back then, even though you know we weren't doing anything illegal, we were cut off from a lot of payment processes. We were just saying like, yeah, you're not doing anything illegal, but we're not we're not comfortable with the business you're doing. And I'm like, why? You know, I'm I'm not getting chargebacks, I'm not not doing anything illegal was an issue and they're like nope and then we kind of realized that hey you know access to the financial uh, you know system is basically kind of permission and it's kind of arbitrarily decided right like if i'm not doing anything illegal if i'm not cheating anyone of money why do companies uh you know be able to say whether i can or cannot do business or not right so we found that kind of ridiculous and I guess that's kind of when we were introduced to stuff like Bitcoin and, and yeah, I guess like the rest is history from there, but that's kind of how it all started when, you know, for whatever reason we realized like, wow, you know, we'll be cut off from the system. And unfortunately, even though it's been so many years, we can actually see this problem has actually increased and, and not decreased, right? Like the Canadian truckers thing, you know, regardless of whatever your stance on vaccines or whether it was right or wrong. I mean, I think we can all agree that that what, you know, they were basically cut off from their bank accounts, things were frozen and they're like, wow, you know, for what, you know, was what they were doing really that serious to have warranted, like, you know, basically being treated in the same 
same ground as a as a terrorist and i think that's going to be actually the the way moving forward and we are seeing that money is no longer just money money is actually a a weapon and and i think that's going to be more the case especially with the rise of like central bank digital currencies and stuff like that yeah yes i'd say i'd love to get your opinion on that but i have a feeling i already know so we don't have to go there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the Canadian trucker incident is kind of, I think, what caught my attention and made me first start to feel like maybe this isn't just something people are talking about that is a could maybe happen someday kind of thing. Kind of like mm-hmm. um, net neutrality, for example, was brought up as like a, everything is going to crumble to pieces once this is out the door. And it, at least in U.S. news anyway, and that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I so think it like that kind of thing. Uh, but now we're seeing things actually play out in real life. So it's a little scarier than that. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's it's previously been a topic, but it's always been like, oh, yeah, it's China doing it, right? It's, wouldn't it happen in a first world country or like a developed Western nation? But, you know, we are starting to see actually Western countries, they are wanting to do the same thing. You just have better PR, you know, right? <laughs> Yes. That's how I kind of feel about it. But I think people are starting to see the difference. And and that's kind of why, you know, we find that in the cryptocurrencies, you know, because now we have a lot of memes, we have a lot of like, you know, <laughs> sometimes it feels like our industry is a bit of a joke, right? Like, you know, like people tweeting random stuff to, to the moon and that's all fine, but it's always often at the, at, at the expense that, you know, crypto is seen as a joke. And in a way, that's, that's I think, a bigger, like, uh, it's people that something people underestimate, you know, like what was, you know, from the cypherpunk origins and stuff like that, like, you know, this was supposed to be an alternative financial system. It's an answer to kind of like, you know, the incessant printing of, of, of like central banks and stuff. But, we're seeing these things happen in the in the crypto space as well. You know, it's kind of like replicating it but making it worse. So, in a way, the biggest travesty to crypto is that it's no longer this. You know, supposed to be the answer to the financial system is now more like replicating the financial system, but in a unregulated wild wild west manner, right? And I think that really had hurts the legitimacy of it and i think it's something that we we really have to think about right like the what what are we actually in crypto for are we here to get rich off dot coins i mean that's fine you know that's what it is but i would really like to see i guess like a a back to its roots uh you know perspective that it was supposed to be used as currency supposed to be you know used as money and and even even now, like the big, you know, Bitcoin, it's just, it's the way it's gone. I mean, it's a bit controversial, but I think it's kind of forgotten its roots as to what it was supposed to be, rather than just like, oh yeah, you know, laser eyes to the moon and stuff like that. Yeah. So I completely <laughs> agree with this. I think people have every right, if I can interject a little opinion here, sure. uh, every right to treat it that yeah. way if they want and to yeah. make coins to be treated in that way. And that's fine. Yeah. But at the same time, um, it does kind of obscure the kind of serious use cases out there, unfortunately. And that's what I've noticed when talking to any of my friends and family about mm-hmm. anything in the space. It's very, oh, well, you're not going to talk me into that. And there was never a point to talk anyone into anything in the first place. But it's kind of almost seen as this uh, get rich quick scheme kind of thing. And unfortunately... You know, you can't take away people's right to to do that if they want, but it really yeah. does um, kind of drag the whole movement down with it, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's fun. You know, I think it's quite reflective of, of the world we are in today that, you know, it's fun stuff like Dogecoin. Like, you know, I have nothing against Dogecoin. I think it's fun as well, right? But the fact that, you know, that the those kind of narratives have kind of overshadowed what, what crypto was supposed to be, you know, now people are like, oh, payments are boring, you know, that narrative is old, you know, now it's all, all about like Pepe or NFTs and, and that's all fine, you know, I, I really nothing against them. I like a good joke. I like 
NFTs. I like, you know, I, I see the potential of it, but I guess I feel that, you know, uh, it's kind of overshadowed, uh, you know, what, what it was. And I think that's kind of like what projects like ours, uh, you know, are still trying very hard to do. You know, we're not abandoning the whole, you know, importance of a currency, uh, while at the same time, you know, embracing that, hey, you know, there's all this other stuff out there and and it really needs privacy so so yeah absolutely yeah agreed um so getting a little bit more specifically into firo here mm-hmm. why don't you go ahead for anyone that's not aware by this point um give us a, a quick elevator pitch for firo let's go right so you know firo is a privacy focused cryptocurrency and i think we are one of the very few uh, cryptocurrency projects that actually uh, independently build our own privacy protocols. And uh, we take a very, very strong focus on building stuff that, you know, first of all, it's not gatekeeper, it's not under some weird, you know, license. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't have very, very minimal trust requirements. You know, there's no like secret people that have to create some like trusted setup ceremony. And, you know, we are seeking to build like open source privacy protocol solutions that really protect uh, privacy, but not at the cost of too much complexity or or being in the place where, you know, for whatever reason, the core team is being forced to stop work on it, other people can't take over, right? And I think that's one of the core tenets of what we're trying to build. Uh, And that comes in the form of the Lantus and Lantus Spark. But we also see ourselves, of course, you know, we, we love to see ourselves as a, as a cryptocurrency, as something to be used as money, a digital cash. But we also see that, look, you know, I think it's also not right to totally ignore what else is happening uh, in the other parts of the crypto space. And, you know, there's all these tokens out there, you know, being governance token, meme tokens, all this stuff, other stuff. And it's been always quite a trouble to actually on privacy to all this other stuff right uh like even from nfts and everything you want to show off your nft then suddenly you kind of like review your net worth where you got all this other stuff and we believe that all these other tokens and other stuff also needs privacy but it is very hard to build that on their own like native layers right and that's why we also have a tokenization layer which allows people to build their own coins uh, and tokens or whatever, or bridge existing ones from other ecosystems and enjoy all the same privacy uh, feature sets that Fero has uh, at very low fees and very low costs and stuff like that. And, and that's kind of how we see ourselves as a kind of like privacy infrastructure for the rest of the crypto ecosystem. So, so yeah, that's kind of us in a nutshell. And uh, hope that explains it. Yeah. So I've never heard it explained in the sense of the uh, infrastructure kind of description mm-hmm. that you just gave, but that is very interesting. And that sort of leads, I guess, into my next question, which was going to be, what do you think, I guess I should say now besides that, is something that sets Firo apart, not in the crypto space, but in the kind of privacy coin space specifically? Mm. What need do you, did you feel existed Um that needed to be solved by by another coin basically right well we have, we have to kind of go back to 2016 when firo kind of started its main net um and back then it was called z coin you know because it was based off the zero coin protocol and at that time there were basically only two kind of relevant privacy protocols which was something called coin join which is like coin mixing you know it's kind of like you mix the coins in a thing and everyone returns but that has a lot of problems because it's interactive that means you have to find other people to mix with wait for them to mix with you and even now like even with the most advanced coin join technologies you know it takes quite a bit of time you know sometimes hours sometimes even days or weeks to get a proper level of anonymity and and that's kind of sucks right it's like how to find people you mix with and stuff like that and then the other one, which was Ring Signatures, which is, I guess, most famously used in Monero, uh, which was basically kind of hiding yourself in a group of, a relatively small group of people, at, at least on a transaction basis. Like, when I do a transaction, I grab, like, you know, five or six other people with me, and then I could be one of these six people, but 
outsiders can't really see, uh, you know, which of the six or which of the 16 people they are. But obviously that has limits, right? You know, one out of 16 isn't that big, right? And, and now obviously, you know, back then zero coin was, I guess, its first incarnation where it allowed people to burn coins uh, and then retain a cryptographic receipt that actually allows you to prove that you actually burn coins that will give you the right to kind of make new coins out of thin air, but you know, from the ones that you burn, but then you are using that receipt to show that you did burn coins, but not which ones. So that means like, instead of being limited to like six people or 16 people or whatnot, your potential anonymity set is with everyone who has burn coins before. So obviously that set could be in the thousands, hundreds of thousands or whatnot, right? That, that obviously, you know, offers much more plausible deniability. So that was where we started. Obviously, you know, you know, as time passed, you know, other types of protocols have come by like stuff like Zcash, Zero Cash, which uses ZK Snarks and other stuff, or Halo 2, which is also from Zcash, or Mimber Wimber. Uh, but they all had like, you know, I guess I would say drawbacks, you know, some of them had trust requirements means that, you know, you have to trust people to come together, you know, it's almost like the law of the rings thing, you know, where they all come together and make sure you have to destroy, make sure there's no one ring or you have to destroy that one ring. Right. Um, and we found those type of trust requirements quite, I guess, like, you know, kind of and anti and tied to the whole like you know uh philosophy of crypt you know crypto where it's like you know don't trust verify right why should i have a trusted setup why should i need to trust someone and it often also involved very kind of complex mathematics and cryptographic assumptions that uh you know haven't really stood the test of time but also kind of like only very few people in the world understood which often led to like heavy centralization, people would use it but not completely understand it. Uh, that was one thing. And, you know, Mimber Wimber came about, which was also very, I guess, simple and nice, but it was still not a, I guess, a perfect privacy protocol solution. It's still, the early version still required interaction. You know, the both sides had to be online. And uh, it still didn't do a really good job at hiding how the funds move across which is the, what we call the transaction graph like it goes from a to b to c to d right it hide hit amounts very well uh, but it didn't really hide the flow of funds that well so that's why we say like look you know we want to kind of have a balance of very very high anonymity sets kind of like what zcash does but without any of this like trust requirements and at the same time uh you know it's something that I would say like a competent uh, programmer with some cryptography knowledge can pick up and understand quite intuitively. And, you know, because especially this type of technology is very disruptive. It's important that if for whatever reason we have to disappear or whatnot, you know, people can take over it. And, and this technology is not like just restricted to ourselves or, or, or even the Fuhrer core team, even if we are the ones behind it. So we really saw this need and, I mean, right now, uh, our latest development, the Lantus Spark, uh, you know, a lot of the ideas, uh, you know, have been uh, instrumental in, I guess, you know, having Monero, which is, I guess, the number one privacy coin in market cap and also in usage, has taken a lot of, like, key ideas, such as addressing structure, our use of the ZKP that we use into building their own privacy protocol called Seraphis. And I guess that's a testament to, I guess, the impact of our work and the value of taking different approaches rather than just going with whatever whatever everyone else is doing so i do think at least on a technological and research standpoint you know we are hitting way above our i would say like you know weight versus you know the the project size and stuff like that so that's something i'm really proud of and i think that's something that's really important right because if one day one of these other privacy protocols fails or or turns out to be you know not very good there needs to be diversity uh in 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 that regard so yeah i'm very happy that 
I guess our research has given birth to a whole new family of privacy protocols. Definitely. And uh, another personal opinion, I guess, um, I, I don't personally see an issue with there being multiple options for people instead of just one kind of central default coin that must be used if you want to, mm -hmm. uh, if you want to really interact with cryptocurrency. So I feel like that may be a little bit controversial for some, um, and that's fine. And uh, that's why, you know, versions going back to kind of stack wallet. So this is how we tie in together, right? With mm. Firo being integrated into stack wallet, which is made by our company. But this is why like the stack duos exist out there. If you feel very strongly about that, for example, um, you, of course, it's not a full Bitcoin or Monero maximalist app, but it is kind of a dual and that's the idea, but that's fine. You can um, totally operate like that if you want to, but I respect the idea of not necessarily coming in to uh, scoop up everyone that's invested in something else, but to give an option that you felt like did not exist in a way that you were 100% satisfied with to begin with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there is some value in maximalism, you know, in the sense that, like, you know, you, you're defending your, your your project of choice at, at, at like, you know, at everything. But at the same time, I think we have to realize that a lot of the times maximalism can strengthen and polarize communities and make it like, oh, you know, we have a very, like, violent uh not violent like very vibrant and cult but at the same time it's kind of cultish right but that often leads to i would say intellectual laziness right obviously like you know people there's still good people in monero there's still people good people in bitcoin but by and large most people are just pirating what a small group of people are saying and that actually leads to kind of laziness like intellectual laziness because if all you're concerned if the only thing that can come good is from your project and nothing else you're going to kind of like blinker yourself to the the latest developments out there and um i think that that is you know a disservice to the to the community as such i would think like you know you know stuff like 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 seraphis wouldn't have come uh if if not for a project like ours that that dare to take a different approach from others so i think you know whatever the your viewpoint you know there there is value in having different approaches to to one problem and you know after all crypto is supposed to be about decentralization right so i think the more options are there are there the better but i think we have to be careful that Yes, there are obviously scams and stuff like that, but we also shouldn't be too caught up in tribalism. And, you know, I really embrace having a, a multi-coin wallet because I see crypto as this, like, you know, whole ecosystem with different niches and stuff like that. One coin shouldn't be able to do it all. Um, you know, there's obviously design trade-offs with, with certain stuff. You know, if you just want to be money, you don't do all of this. You want to do DeFi, you have to do this. So... Uh, I think it's very wrong to kind of say one coin should do it all. And I think that's kind of the the hole that Bitcoin has kind of dug itself into. And which is why, like, you know, we're seeing kind of not very optimum solutions like BRC20 and Ordinals. They're all interesting, but they're, they wouldn't really design for it. As a result, they're kind of like not as good as they could have been if they were designed specifically for them rather than as a workaround for them. So I think that is a testament to the fact that different designs have different benefits and they all come with trade-offs. So, you know, I just hope people realize that and I really embrace, well, at least I know Stack Wallets are so, you know, trying to, to make the Maxis happy and I understand that. But, you know, I think uh, Stack Wallet as a whole, you know, embraces a more inclusive crypto ecosystem. Yes, and it's probably not even going to be possible 100% to make some people happy, and that's fine. But to at least have more options, more choice equals more freedom. So I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah. But you did uh, briefly mention in passing a few minutes ago, Lelantis. How about we mm -hmm. kind of get into that just a little bit? Refresh me since it's been a while since I've uh, dug into it a little bit. How exactly... Mm -hmm the whole protocol works, and then maybe we can jump into the changes that have been made. Sure. So uh, Lelantis is a bit different. Than, actually, it's pretty different than Lelantis Spot. 
Lilantis is the protocol that Firo is currently on and the one that Stack Wallet currently supports. Uh, and Spark uh, is our next gen privacy protocol, which is probably going to be launching Testnet in a couple of weeks, uh, hopefully. Um, what what Lilantis allows you to do is like previously, well, in a nutshell, it allows you to burn coins of any amount, like arbitrary amounts. Like it doesn't have to be in tens, fives, twenties, or stuff like that. It just like any amount, hundred and fifty three point five two three. Yep, I can burn that amount, and I can redeem any arbitrary amount for it. That means I don't have to redeem the exact same amount. I can only re I can redeem. 0.76 or 0.52 or, or any amount obviously it has to be smaller than the amount that i burnt but it means that now uh you know i basically can destroy any amount of coins and redeem them for brand new ones at any time in the future and that's the basic basis of how lalantis works which is burning arbitrary amounts redeeming arbitrary amounts uh, and that protects uh, the sender, uh, maybe use new addresses, it protects the receiver and partially the amounts as you, because you cannot see the change amount that's hidden. So that's what Lelantis does. Uh, what Lelantis Spark does is, you know, introduce a whole new addressing system, which means that now you can hold your assets with the amounts totally hidden. So I don't have to expose them. I don't have to redeem them. I can just basically send them to you, Alexa, and no one knows how much you have received. And, and yeah, that, that's amazing. Sender, receiver, amounts are all completely hidden with Spark. Uh, so that's kind of what it is in a nutshell. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of innovative cryptographic components and research that goes into building these protocols, but yeah, I don't want to go too technical uh, into that. Yeah. <laughs> and to rewind for mm. just a moment, just for anyone curious, what, how would you describe the, the benefit of being able to even burn any of your currency in the first place? Well, I would say it's both a, like, you know, the way that I see it is it's both a pro and a con. Uh, so the, I guess the pro is that, you know, your anonymity set is with anyone who has burned coins, right? And that set constantly grows, right? Rather than in ring signature models where you constantly, you know, you're mixing with, 16 other people in, in Monero's case. Well, here, you know, when you're redeeming something, it could be, if let's say I redeem 1.7 Fero, it could have been from any of the other burns or, or the, you know, that anonymity set is like many, many, many thousands, right? So on a single transaction value, you're getting, getting much, much more anonymity and it's not so dependent on how many people are using your coin because as time passes, there'll always be people burning and that set is constantly growing, right? Rather than being limited to 16 other people or so or stuff like that. Obviously, it's a bit simplistic, but uh, that's kind of it in a very watered down uh, understanding of, of that. And I guess having a very large anonymity set matters because uh, when you have, when like if you're using like the ring signature model, if you are dealing with someone on a repeated basis, uh, there are certain kind of things that happen. Uh, it's not very good against targeted surveillance. Like if someone really wants to target you and tries to surveil you, there are ways to, to do that. Uh, and at the same time, uh, repeated transactions can actually reveal the true sender because statistically, you know, 16 and 16 and what is the chances of, this common source appearing in all these transactions to a to a common uh, to a like let's say an exchange can probably guess that oh, yeah you know this is probably the same person or so so I would say in that case uh, the anonymity set is 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 much greater in Lantus so that's the benefit and rather than it merely being just like oh you know one out of sixteen chance you know it's several magnitudes higher to try and gain some sort of statistical significance when your anonymity set is so much bigger. So, yeah. All right. Thank you for that explanation. Next, I was hoping maybe you could describe Fira's consensus mechanism to people, give us a good idea of how that's working. Sure. We use a hybrid system that's a mixture of proof of work and also master notes. 
And, you know, I mean, I understand a lot of people say like, oh, yeah, you know, proof of work is the only way to go. You know, it's the only fair way uh, where you can remain per permissionless and decentralized. And, you know, let me kind of like explain a bit about that and, and kind of like the trade-offs, right? So before going into the trade-offs, let's kind of explain how our consensus mechanism works. So what happens is... Uh, the master nodes are basically nodes uh, that have 1,000 Fero uh, serving as kind of a collateral behind it. And the only reason for that collateral is to prove, is to kind of like what, what we call cyber resistance, right? Because if you are going to be relying on this group as, uh, as a point of authority, uh, they, they should have some stake in the, in the value of the project, right? So... Basically, um, our system where when you have 1,000 Fero backing it, you can create a master node, uh, and that allows you to participate in the first level of consensus. And how that consensus works is that right now there's about like 4,000 over nodes that earn uh, you know a portion of the block reward, and automatically 400 of these 4,000s. There are several groups of 400. Uh, which is called quorums. And so that means at any one time, there are probably three or four quorums of 400 that are existing at any time. And they constantly automatically reform every X number of hours or so. I think it's like every 12 hours or so. That means it's not a fixed group. It's constantly changing from this, being selected from this group of 4,000 uh, people. And there's no central authority that decides this selection of who gets into a quorum is done deterministically, meaning that it's done randomly, but you can always calculate the way this is being selected. So there's no like central authority selecting it. And randomly from this uh, group of uh, several 400 quorums, one the block will say, okay, it's your turn to decide which is the valid block. And it would take a look at the blocks that come and the 400 that has been selected for that particular block would vote to see which is the block that I saw first. And if more than 60% of the 400 vote to say, I saw block A first, rather that I see this other conflicting block B, but I saw this block A first, if more than 60% of the, the 400 sign that block and say, I saw this one first, that block becomes final. Uh, and that, that means no matter what, that block is going to be the one that goes into the final blockchain. <clears throat> so that, that's really beneficial because what it means is that, you know, unlike in pure proof of work system where you have to add, wait like X number of confirmations and that's kind of arbitrary because it can always be rewinded like 12 confirmations. If I can get enough hash power, I can rewind it. But with the master node system, I get almost finality within a couple of seconds that means within a couple of seconds i know that this block at least my transactions are not going to be overrided and that means 51 percent attacks cannot happen now this is great but what happens if there is a concerted attack against these master nodes right and uh, like let me see i i see a bunch of of, of these master nodes hosted at the data center and i wipe out that data center or something like that right or knock it off well, then after that, the secondary consensus mechanism, which is the pure proof of work, means that it is still the miners that propose the blocks and then it will kind of revert to pure Nakamoto consensus. So what it means is basically almost two layers. If you want to attack our chain, you both have to either acquire enough Fero to control the master node layer, which is like, you know, you have to basically, you know, hurt your own investment, right? You buy the Fero to kind of attack the coin that you, you, you're getting it, or find some way to bring down, you know, a significant proportion of this network that constantly changes. You know, it's not easy to attack 4,000 nodes at the same time, especially even if it's 400 it's rotating and being selected randomly all this time. And on top of that, if you still want to kind of get that in because it's still the miners that propose, you would also need to get more than 50% of the hash rate. So that means you kind of have to attack the coin from two different fronts to actually, you know, successfully uh, compromise Vero. So I think that adds a lot of security and it adds a lot of benefits 
towards uh you know like just day-to-day -day use case right we you know when i'm transacting someone in person you know i kind of wait like oh you know six confirmation 10 confirmations or something like that and even you know that's all very arbitrary i want to be certain kind of like a credit card or maybe credit cards are not a great example like cash right i just pay it you know you you know I, it's thing it can't be reversible and that's it within a couple of seconds rather than having to guess oh is this final or not is this going to be overrided or not so i think that adds a lot to the the functionality of the coin and also the security of the coin now i know there are many others that would say that oh you know uh proof of work is the only kind of a pure way to to kind of uh get consensus you know because there's no special permission you know it doesn't favor people who have a lot of coins but the reality of it is that you know proof of work is also subject to, to many of the same problems that people are not very willing to admit is that Let's say, like, you know, if I have an ASIC for a certain algorithm, right? Well, then it's kind of centralized because there are only a few manufacturers in the world that can make the ASICs, and the people who build the ASICs have to basically first dips, uh, you know, whether to even sell those ASICs or not. There's a, there's a lot of secret mining going on. But if you have an algorithm that is, let's say, you know, CPU specific or GPU specific, that, you know, more, I guess, like, focuses on commodity hardware, which is what we want if we want a decentralized proof of work system. A little more inclusive, maybe to more. Yes, more uh, because like every, I mean, most people have a CPU, most people have a GPU, um, you know, rather than an ASIC where they only can do one thing, at least for CPUs, more likely I might have one already sitting in my house, regardless of whether I want to mine or not. But the problem with CPUs is that, you know, with the, the existence of large botnets, and a lot of like old computers being infected or even server farms being infected means that when you will actually see that many of the CPU uh, dominated algorithms, most of them are being dominated by botnets. And the reason why that is is because there's one person that basically has access to thousands of computers, but it's not paying the cost for it. He's not paying for the hardware. He's not paying for the the electricity and the ongoing so he has a very unfair advantage over an honest miner who still has to pay for his own cost right and that means that actually you know it may be not profitable for me to mine with my cpu but it's very profitable for a botnet to mine which is a which is a form of centralization as well which is why we actually believe that you know despite its limitations the graphics cards are there's much less chance of a gpu botnet not to say that they don't exist but they're much much more rare because you know high-end gpu cards typically run in your home people actively use these computers so you know any sort of like virus activity are more likely to be you know spotted and stuff like that and they're also a lot more rare so uh that's one thing but the bad thing is that as a gpu miner there's no loyalty right because you basically mine whatever coin that supports your coin and the, what that means is that you can easily switch from coin to coin to coin which is freedom but at the same time from a security standpoint if you are competing for security all these other coins and it's dependent on like market value and stuff like that your security is going up and down dependent on the price and that's the really kind of like a poor way to kind of base your security off on and we have been subject to you know people who are just malicious and and hired like 50,000 GPUs to attack us and when when they're done you know they they don't lose the value of their 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 GPUs because they can continue to mine other stuff so I think there is a real there's a real benefit to having a hybrid system where you are both having the permissionless nature of proof of work but at the same time getting another layer of security and also you know rewarding loyalty uh, for you know providing a steady form of security that is provided by the master node. So I think we're offering the best of both worlds and uh, I hope people see that that you know don't they'll just say oh proof of work is the only way and obviously we're still looking at other consensus mechanisms but I think for the moment I think this serves us really well. Uh, but we do want the kind of like moved away from you know the requirement to have 
uh, you know, fixed IP address that holds this master nodes and stuff. And, and that's something we're actively looking at. Yeah. That was a lot of mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that kind of came to my mind while you were speaking there a moment ago, that's maybe slightly off track, but I'm curious. So you, I'm in the US, of course. You are not. Um, I was curious, is there a, a pretty diverse kind of global spread of people actually engaging with the kind of Firo community and sort of investing in this project? Of course, besides where we live, maybe. But uh... yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, of course, as a privacy point, we don't like get any particular analytics but from from at least uh, like you know from the the videos that we push out you know because like you know we still post our videos on youtube we also you know are listed on some centralized you know a lot of centralized exchanges and we've been engaging them to say like hey you know could you give us like the rough breakdown of who uh who, who where are our users coming from at least from the ip address right and we see that, yeah, we're actually getting like quite a decent number from the US. We actually have quite a lot from, you know, like Western Asia, which is like Middle East, Turkey and stuff like that. Uh, and then after that is uh, Southeast Asia. So I would say like US, then like East Asia, Europe and Southeast Asia. I think Europe and Southeast Asia are like kind of similar-ish. So it's quite a global, uh, a, quite a global like community. Uh, and obviously, you know, some of them kind of like fall into their little niche. Like I think the, the Turks like to stay within their own, uh, you know, Turkish language groups and stuff like that. But I think it's quite heartening to feel that, you know, Firo has such a global reach. Uh, and I think that's also kind of like the benefit of a proof of work, right? Like, you know, regardless of where you are. And I, I know, I don't think it was like a significant proportion of a community, but I remember some of the community members are like, hey, you know, I'm actually mining Firo with a, like, you know, a couple of rigs with mine in Venezuela. It's been like feeding my family, you know, because that time when the Venezuela, I don't know what was the name of their currency. I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, it was like rapidly devaluing and they were like saying like, hey, you know, you guys actually helped us a lot. And I think that's kind of like the beauty of the power of proof of work where you could just run like a bunch of GPUs, you know, and be a part of the economy and, and, and yeah, you know, don't have anyone to tell you what to do. Right. So, so I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Some of the more serious use cases, I guess, um, really come into play. I yeah. guess more, more the people that are, are not looking to just kind of invest in something that they think is interesting, but to really benefit from a lot of the a lot of the privacy tech that we've kind of discussed so far so. yeah i think i think there were two like use cases that was actually like really interesting there was a time where iran was actually facing floods right and you know iran is a heavily sanctioned country and no one could send money to them and we were aware of because we didn't we didn't have anything to do with this right but you know there were a few community members that set up a donation link and people donated uh using Firo uh to to this uh sanctions uh countries to to kind of donate for for flood relief and yeah you know i mean yes it is technically sanctions invasion first of all we have nothing to do with that but you know it's for a good cause you know these people you know produce receipts what they were buying and stuff like that and even like even recently in turkey uh and even in bali where they were like there were some earthquakes you know there was like people sending um Firo to actually help people like globally, right? I don't have to worry about like all this uh, transfer fees, you know, all of all that stuff. It was just like instant, easy and stuff like that. And in, in cases like this, right, uh, I think it's really powerful to have this like, you know, separate financial layer that allows you to transact value uh, privately, you know, without having to review what causes you support or stuff like that. You know, I think disaster relief is one of those things that we can all agree are good, you know, like floods, uh, uh, earthquakes, and, 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 you know, all the sort of natural disasters. And it's kind of unfortunate that a lot of the times this, uh, you know, sometimes these sanctions uh, can, can affect like regular people that may not even support the government that, that is, uh, that's being sanctioned. Right? So I think that's really real. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's kind of an interesting use case as far as the kind of natural disasters you just mentioned. I hadn't ever thought about how that might have the power to kind of rally people in that way, but that's very interesting. Mm, yeah, it was really, really nice to see, like, you know, people, like, I think there was this guy called Katal, he's like, uh, you know, from a Turkish community, he was like, taking fewer donations, buying rice, buying stuff, I mean, sure, you know, maybe a small effort, but it was nice seeing this happen, right, and seeing this being enabled by, you know, like the Turkish currency, it was like, inflation is like crazy, right, it's like 50-60% per annum, so like, even for them, crypto is a, we, we often, we often think like, oh, you know, crypto is so volatile and stuff like this. But in many countries like Turkey is one of, is considered a regional power. And yet its currency could be devalued so much over a short period of time. And for them, no matter what the volatility, cryptocurrency was actually a more valid thing to hold, even, uh, you know, rather than their own national currency. I mean, we always hear about Venezuela and all these like, you know, weird countries that, you know, even Venezuela for for a certain period of time was doing very well. You know, it shows how fragile, you know, fiat currencies can be, and we kind of you know assume that oh, the U.S. dollars will be always here to stay. But I think we're beginning to see the cracks, and I'm not saying that crypto solves that all. You know, I mean, sure, cryptocurrencies can also crash and stuff like that, but at least there is an alternative, and I think. As long as there are alternatives in the way they keep each other in balance, because fiat currencies can't be totally, you know, can't do everything, you know, without any sort of repercussions, because there's an alternative. If there was no alternative, they could do whatever they want and we're like, we're stuck with it, right? But I do feel that cryptocurrencies, you know, regardless of what you think about it, you know, uh, offers a really, I would say, a credible alternative. And people are starting to see that even. Like, you know, like like you know, Venezuela had a lot of gold reserves that were kept kept in the UK, right? And because the UK say, oh, you know, we don't support this government, therefore we're not giving you access to the gold that you stored in our vaults. And you're like, wow, you know, that means now it's, it's basically politicians and regulators that decide, you know, whether you morally have the right to to have this stuff, even though it's a country's reserves, which you know, whether you agree with the Venezuelan government or not, like who is to to make that determination that you can access to the, the, the country's reserves or not. So I think people are beginning to wake up to realize that, hey, you know, I think one of the beauties of cryptocurrencies is that, that yeah, you know, you, you kind of have ownership of your, of your cryptocurrency. No one can easily take that away from you. And one of those things that you really need for that is privacy, right? Because if I can hold an address, I can sanction that address. You know, we've seen this happening in Ethereum or Bitcoin where you have blacklisted addresses, blacklisted funds and stuff like that. That can easily be expanded, right? And if you have a privacy cryptocurrency, that's a lot harder because, you know, it's just like cash, right? How, how do you like distinguish, you know, uh, one coin to, uh, to, to the rest and, and yeah, I think that this has serious consequences and obviously people say that it can be used for nefarious reasons. But, you know, I would say that let's be real, like really real here, right? You know, who is facilitating the real money laundering at scale? It, it's the banks. So, you know, it's going to happen regardless and to just kind of paint the bogeyman on cryptocurrencies, which I don't think even form like 1% of, of the actual... <laughs> Uh, you know, money laundering that is happening. You know, I think that that's just finding a a very useful excuse when you know the perpetrators are right in front of you and have continued to do so with very very little reper repercussions, right? I mean, take a look at HSBC, right? You know, they were money laundering Sinaloa drug cartel money. You know, um, it's like directly and intentionally so, and no one no one really went to jail. So, I think. You know, I'm I'm not a proponent of like of course, you know, this type of like really damaging illegal activities, but I don't think it's a valid argument against banning privacy coins, banning cash, banning all this type of stuff in the name well, of protecting exactly. The, yeah. Exactly. And you, you say cash and that's what always comes to my mind is if you're going to have that outlook with cryptocurrencies in general or maybe 
specifically privacy coins, then you kind of have to take the same approach to cash. Right. And I don't think people claiming that are likely to also be anti-cash or stop engaging with it at all and using it because of how some others do. Because it doesn't have the same reputation. Um, because it's obviously mainstream enough for normal uses that the other uses are forgotten about for the most part. And I think that's that's probably the the goal to get to with the digital <laughs> yeah, <definitely>. well. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we get there one day, but yeah, you know, obviously it's the headlines that then they make a make a big thing, right? Like, oh North Korea launders five hundred million dollars using tornado cash and whatnot. Like that that's sort of news unfortunately when there are a lot of other legitimate use cases like you know vitalik you know wanted to donate to ukraine without people knowing about it and he did that using a privacy preserving mixer so what's wrong with that right but yeah yeah perspective for sure mm-hmm. um and then to kind of jump here again sorry to keep jumping around a little bit i just want to make sure there's nothing that i'm missing that i wanted to make mm-hmm. sure and ask about you did mention quite earlier on here that Lalanta Spark is is looking very near to now. So besides that kind of timeline, and it doesn't have to be a super strict timeline, I understand uh, it's kind of hard to pin down an exact date yep. for a lot of these things, but what else do you see coming up in the kind of near future with Firo and then kind of a little bit farther out a few years down the road? Where are you seeing things? What are you expecting? to be rolling out give us a little idea right so obviously you know spark is going to be on testnet and maybe in like three to a couple of months more uh, we'll launch mainnet and that will i can i think lay the kind of like privacy infrastructure for the next few years that we wouldn't want to change too much right um obviously you know the research is still ongoing you know we we still have like sort of performance and anonymity uh, improvements that we're looking at, like called territory research and stuff like that. I think that's like, you know, kind of later down the road, but it's the research is happening right now, right? And and we'll see where we want to fit that down uh, maybe a couple of years down the road. But the next thing that we kind of really want to focus on is something called Spark Assets. And, you know, there was this layer where people could create their own tokens or bridge existing ones from other ecosystems into Firo. And we're really going to be completely new to me, by the way, completely new. <laughs> so this is very yeah. interesting. <laughs> so, so, so the idea is that, you know, you could create your own token and get the, all the same privacy benefits in Firo. And I think one of the really interesting things is that the asset type is hidden. And what that means is that on the blockchain, when you see a transaction, not only sender amount and and receiver is hidden, even the asset that you're transferring is hidden. And I think that's a really big thing because, okay, like something like Monero is already, you know, functioning kind of like money and stuff like that. But the, the community is very against any sort of additional asset support, NFT support, because they're saying we are digital cash and nothing else. And that's fine, you know. But I feel that we... You know, for us with like saying, look, you know, there's an opportunity to be made here because rather than just, you know, restricting the usage of Firo just as being a currency, which we definitely want, and that's, you know, really, really what we we, we aim for. But the thing is that even if you create your own, you know, let's say Alexa coin, right? And fine you know maybe only five or ten people are using it but the thing is that because the asset type is hidden your anonymity set will be shared with everyone else that is using spot assets including people that are using Firo. so i may be transacting Firo. i may be transacting alexa coin i may be transacting uh, a, a meme coin but everyone shares in this crowd right that means we're in that same set. So from the blockchain, I'm like, I don't really know what's being transacted. It, it could be a useless thing. It could be actually something valuable, but they are all indistinguishable. So what that means is that even if the usage of one particular token or currency is, is may not be a lot, but together it becomes stronger and together it augments the utility of Firo, 
and also the anonymity set of everyone else that's using it. And ideally, you know, we know of some people building bridges that like dot oracle, that means they want to bridge stable coins and, and other stuff uh, with two Fero. That actually means that, you know, now you're in this sea of all these different tokens that's all growing the anonymity set. And that's something that's not just for people using Fero. There is now there's plausible deniability, right? They're like, I don't really know. I, I could be transacting something else. I could be, we, we even support private NFTs. So I think that's a, a really amazing use case. And we will be, you know, dedicating our resources to kind of building out that ecosystem from having like DEXs, cross-chain DEXs, cross-chain bridges. Uh, you know, not all of them may be maintained by ours. Some may be, you know, by partners or community members that decide to build on it. Uh, but we really kind of want to lock down the usability side because I think we spend like a, a long time, you know, focusing on the backbone, the research, the tech and all of that. But I think, you know, we have to also focus on the utility, the usability and the use case here. And I do think Spark Assets is that use case. And I think, you know, I really am excited to see what people build on it. And and, and yeah, that's kind of like the, the vision of it, right? So. Obviously, hopefully, you know, we, we might be seeing, you know, voting protocols and all this, this sort of stuff that require privacy to be built on Fero, which, you know, is custom built for privacy uh, rather than having to tack it on on some other uh, system like Ethereum and whatnot, which, which can be very expensive and, and often has like gaps in privacy. So, so yeah, that, that, that's our hope. And, and, and I think that's personally very exciting for me. And any rough idea of how how much time there might be until that becomes a reality? Uh, well, the, the paper's already done. So we've already kind of figured out the math. We kind of figured out how to do it and everything. We just haven't started the coding. I guess that may be sometime in 2024, right? I think that would be once we launch Spark and everything, you know, I think 2024, which, which is hopefully what we're trying to do uh, and launch Spark Assets. Uh, you know, the, the bridges are actually, you know, Dot Oracle, I know, is at least building it already, both with Lelantis and also uh, Spark Assets in mind. So I would say maybe 2024, not so much. Uh, and after that, you know, we'll be looking at more like decentralized ways to do our consensus layer and things like that. I think, I mean, I really am excited of, of Fira's development and, you know, Spark, I would say is the first big, like super big improvement uh that we're really really excited to roll out and, and it comes from the years of research and, and experiences that we, we 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 earn through like you know blood and sweat to to get to this point so so yeah i'm really really excited for for that but that's not as far as off as i expected actually so i'm kind of impressed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly i want to make sure there's nothing that you really felt strongly about bringing up or really maybe haven't had enough time to get into deep enough here that, that you'd like to share. I don't want to cut off anything yeah. particularly important to you. I mean, one of the things that we're kind of being like working on the side, which is more of like something that we, we found as an important thing is basically the concept of of uh, vote e-voting, privacy preserving e-voting infrastructure, right? And you know, some people may not know, but in 2018, you know, Firo actually uh, participated in uh, our blockchain was actually used in the Thai Democrat Party's uh, primary elections, basically the election to select its party leader. And, you know, basically about 127,000 votes were cast nationwide uh, in Thailand. And, and that, that elected the, 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 the party leader for the Thai Democrat Party. So that was a really interesting use case. And I think that was the worst kind of first large political, large scale uh, blockchain election that was held on the blockchain. And obviously we've learned a lot from that. And, uh, you know, one of our cryptographers, Aram, you know, he's from Armenia and he, he came from a situation that, you know, I think there was a lot of violence because people uh, were questioning the, the results of the votes and stuff like that. He saw people die and he was like, you know, this is so senseless, right? There, there should be a way for people to vote 
be very certain of their you know results and and that their votes have been counted and the legitimacy of this without having this you know <laughs> yeah yeah there, there is right and they are so we've come up with like a, a cryptographic uh protocol called aura that, that allows people to vote uh uh, in in a privacy preserving way and requires very minimal trust of the election board. So even the election board can't decrypt the votes and tell who has voted where, but can be certain. But the the individual voter can be certain that the vote has been correctly counted, has been corrected, tallied, and collect correctly reflected in the final vote. Uh, and at the same time, you know there's. You know, it hides ballot progress. That means you can't tell how the, the vote is progressing. It supports all types of different voting protocols, whether it's just, you know, single vote, multiple choice, or, you know, first past the post, or, or even like waiting type of votes. You know, the, the system is, is flexible enough for this. And, uh, you know, we, we originally designed this as a way to kind of do like feral governance and whatnot, but I think it has much wider implications here it could be a very efficient and economical way to at least start with polling you know like right now like gallup polling all these polls to say oh who's winning who do you vote for is done very true very primitive means you know people call up do phone calls and say like hey you know what do you think do you want to participate in this poll and i think you're only going to get like very very few people who are, or nothing better to do to pick up this call because if i get such a call they're like no well, screw that right but and, and that's how polling is currently being done, right? But if you allow people to do that through an app in a very like privacy preserving way, give it a small little incentive. You could you could do these polls a lot more frequently and a lot more cheaply. And yet still, you know, that means now people have a much direct way to, to, to express their opinion. Uh, in a way that's still privacy preserving. And I think that may actually change the way governance, not just in cryptocurrencies or DAOs or whatnot, but the world. And I think uh, I'm really excited. I hope that, you know, we, we will see, we can get like funding for this to, to build this protocol out. Maybe one day it'll come to Pharaoh, but um, this is something that, that I guess it's been like a side project that we've been very excited about. Uh, and, and yeah, and and that's i guess on voting the the other thing that is also coming out which is our kind of oh i wouldn't call it like an official project it's kind of like a project with me and a couple of other community members uh, we've come out with this uh, fun little feral fox nft project which is also has a little game associated with it that's designed to teach people about privacy and stuff like that and we also want to reward people who you know, have contributed to our community, who have like, you know, been supporting us throughout the years. And have a little fun at it. Because yeah, you know, yes, crypto is serious, crypto is all of that, but it's also the pepes, it's also the doge, and it's we also have have to not forget that it should be fun. And you know, a lot of people think that NFTs are shit and whatnot. And sure, you know, a lot of them are money grabs, but at its essence it's, it's just a technology and if you do it in such a way to just reward people that are valuable to your community and let people have fun with it. Why not, right? It's just a tech. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm really excited to see that happen and hopefully uh, we'll be starting on the BNB chain, but eventually as they break free from surveillance, they will be bridged into our spot assets as well. And that's kind of like when they break free from the matrix and stuff like that. So I, I think that would be fun. I mean, even though I wouldn't say it's a major thing, I'm just excited to just see it happen and have a little fun. Small things are good too. We'll take small yeah. news. And what's interesting to me about that too is the potential to kind of get more of the the artistic side of the community possibly involved. Yeah, um, definitely. Because, you know, only a few people in this world, like, you know, like, I guess there's not few people, like a much smaller subset of people can, you know, get the code, get the cryptography and stuff. People get cartoons, people get fun little games, and I think this is a way to get more people involved. And we have to reach out beyond just like the privacy, you know, loving community and make it more mainstream. I think this is one of the ways that we can do it. A small little thing, but 
it's fun it's harmless and yeah i think i think i'm, I'm excited to see that happen well you can come for the nfts and stay for the privacy features so that's <laughs> Definitely. Fine too. Yeah. whatever works all right. Well, thank you so much for giving kind of me, of course, a refresher on everything and then getting into a little bit more of the details here and some of the, the newer news. This has been very cool. Thank you. And of Alexa. course, I finally get to actually speak to you instead of hearing about you here and there all over the place. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I guess like, you know, if people want to find out more, you know, you know, Firo.org, I guess our community is, you know, I think the most active on Discord and Telegram, which they bridge each other and all the, I guess, you know, you put the link somewhere, but it's also on our main page, Firo.org. And uh, we also have forums where you can participate in governance and expressing your views and stuff. And, you know, we really want to see more of you people. And I'm, I'm really excited also because, like, you know, Stack Wallet has been you know, one of the better wallets that's supporting us. I know that you guys have been like some difficulties, but Diego assures me that these are all going to be fixed in the next couple of weeks. So I'm really excited to see that. And especially uh, once Spark come along, I think Stack Wallet, uh, you know, is also interested in making sure that that's integrated as well when it goes live. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for the Stack Wallet shout out there again. And, uh, you know, kinks are still being worked out, um, obviously. You know, but for anyone else curious, everything is still, it, we're still in open beta right now. <laughs> so for the the fact that things are, for the most part, working pretty smoothly with kinks here and there, mm -hmm. uh, good sign. No uh, current issues with fear I'm aware of. So Yeah, I mean, like, That's remember, cool. you know, Stack Wallet is fully open source. You know, the code is for everyone to see. You know, I think the only way they make money is through swaps in it. And there have been some really... Good integrations. I think I saw Majestic Bang and I think Trocodile was recently uh, integrated and changed now. So all these are non-KYC base. So you can get Firo. So like, you know, even if you don't have access to Binance or whatever and whatnot, you still can get access to Firo. You can still sell Firo. You can still do all this other cool stuff. So I think, you know, um, Stack Wallet is a great way to get started in your Firo journey. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm you know, they also have like a cute, li cute little Firo waifu avatar thingy, uh, <laughs> thing called Firo-chan, which, which, which whenever you do a transaction, it starts kissing you. So I love that. It's uh, but, really uh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, well, do check out Stack Wallet. <laughs> thank you for doing that. I certainly didn't want to shill too hard for Stack Wallet on this, but it has to be mentioned, right? So <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I'm not sure what exact time it is for you right now, so I hope it's not too terribly early or anything. But it was just heading to noon, so, so it was a great time. <laughs> okay, not too bad, not too bad. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, maybe we'll talk to you again soon at some point as more things kind of evolve and come about. I'm sure uh, we'll continue to learn a little bit more. Yeah, stay in touch. See ya. All right, thank you.